I just had another funny idea. Um, so, so again, I think a lot of times the gospel, the shock of the gospel is lost on us because culturally and, you know, it, it, we just don't get it. Um, intellectually, we can get it, but culturally, it's hard to get it. So the idea that the tax collector would be the one who's justified and not the Pharisee would be shocking. So when I read, when I read this line again, I want you to go, what? Okay, here we go. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. That's I didn't even play. Like, what's your problem? I'm trying to have some fun. So the, so the hearers, you know, they probably wouldn't have, some of them might have, but, but the hearers would have been like, what? Well, how, I mean, literally, how is that possible? I mean, the Pharisees are the best among us, right? They're the ones who practice the law ardently and exactly and perfectly, and they make sure to tell us about it. But nonetheless, they're the one, so they're the ones who are righteous. So this, this Pharisee is also rightly looking at this tax collector and saying, thank God I'm not like him because that tax collector betrayed all of his other fellow Israelites. He's working for an occupying power, the Romans, collecting money on their behalf and extorting his own people so that he can also make a living. He's got to go in and charge 25 bucks. It wasn't 25, you get my point. He goes in and charges 25 bucks, he's, or he's supposed to from each, each family. Well, I'm gonna charge 30, I'm gonna charge 50, I'm gonna charge 70. I'm gonna extort whatever I can so that I can get rich off my own people for a foreign government. You can see why they were despised, horribly despised. Um, and so this idea that, yeah, even if this tax or the, the Pharisee is a little bit proud, still, the idea that the one who's faithful to the covenant is not justified and the one who is unfaithful to his own people and family is shocking to them. It's shocking to them. Now, the Lord continues to critique, to criticize, to be pretty tough on the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the faith in, in Israel. And this is one of his main themes, because with that rigorism, with that idealism that they have, comes a lot of arrogance, a sense of superiority, spiritual pride, and also um, sort of lording that over the people. You know, you also need to be this way, knowing full well that they probably can't be, but still demanding it of them intentionally to make them feel bad. Because as we all know, guilt is a great motivator. It's been used in, in the church for centuries. Guilt, shame, if you use guilt and shame to motivate people, you can get them to, a lot, to do a lot of things. The problem with it, of course, is it's vicious and it's, it's not virtuous, and it's manipulative. And it doesn't adequately, or adequately isn't even the right word, it doesn't um, uphold an individual's dignity and their freedom. So the reason why the Lord prefers the tax collector, the reason why God would prefer the tax collector, is because of the disposition it calls to mind that line when, when Jesus talks about, I've come for those who are in need of a physician, 
I haven't come for those who are well. In other words, those who think they're well and they don't need any help. I can't do anything for them. You can't do anything for someone who doesn't think they need any help. I've had this experience as a priest numerous times. People, people want to talk to me and they really don't want my advice. They say they do. What they really want is for me to tell them they're right. Interestingly, this happens between husbands and wives, which is why I don't meet with husbands and wives. I get the wife one week and the husband the next week. Um, so, um, but it, that, that's kind of what can happen. So the, the disposition of the tax collector is he knows he's bad. He knows what he's doing and he doesn't like it within himself. And who knows the situation, how he became a tax collector, why he needs to stay in that profession. I mean, we don't know. But he knows, he gets it. He knows that he is not completely virtuous and maybe not virtuous at all, but certainly not in his profession. He knows that before God's sight, he just needs help. He needs help. The Pharisee doesn't think he needs any help. He's justifying himself to God. That's what he's doing. God, look at how good I am. I'm doing this for you and this for you and this for you, and I'm not like any of those other bad people. Reward me. That's what he's looking for. Approve of me. So the disposition is the key. It's not a question of whether we ought to become good or not. It's not a question of the objective goodness of each individual. It's about that disposition. I, I, this comes to mind uh, a couple weeks ago. I was at my niece's volleyball game, and it was a really close game, went all three sets, and um, the other team kind of eked out a win, but the teams were pretty evenly matched. And the other team were really, really poor winners, really poor sportsmanship, and we're kind of rubbing it in and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and of course that, that bothered my niece's team. And I was like, well, it's good that you see that. It's good that you experience that because that's not how you want to be. The reason to become good is not to become better than someone else. The reason to become good is not to dominate another person, right? The, the reason to seek goodness and excellence is its own reward. I remember when I was younger and, and I was starting out playing piano and, and I was in that sort of stage of, you know, learning songs and everything else. And then I meet somebody who, who knew a song and I couldn't play it yet. And I'd go home and I'd just work and work and work so that I could play it better than them. And after a while, I realized, number one, I didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of merely becoming better than other people. And number two, there's always someone better. There's always someone, unless you're LeBron James, you know, or something like that, right? But there's always someone better. And as I went throughout life, I, I began to realize that, you know, excellence is its own reward. And if we can make the focus virtue, like I want to become better because I just love the good, not to prove myself to anyone, even God. Prove ourselves to God? You know, I, I, look at God, look at how good I, I mean, it's ridiculous if you think about it. Something struck me last night um, <laughs> as I was preaching, and I just said it, which is typical. Um, I said, uh, you know, I aspire 
to shepherd a community of misfits and outcasts. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, uh, it's just funny to say, but there's actually a part of me that, that really, um, that, that's really true because in a way, we're all that sort of thing. Um, those particular words, you know, don't get too attached to those, but this is what I mean. That every single person really, if you're honest with yourself, something you might not tell anyone else, but if you're honest with yourself, we second guess ourselves all the time. Am I good enough? Am I good enough for, for my wife? Um, am I good enough for my children and my husband? Am I good enough for my people, you know, as a priest? Am I, am I good enough before God? Am I good enough to even be in this church? Am I worthy, right? We, we struggle with this. We struggle with doubts. I mean, do I, really believe, do I really believe that the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ? I kind of struggle with that. Or I struggle with other church teachings. Or I struggle with my own identity. Or I struggle with truth. Or I struggle, it just goes, if we listed it, all of the things, it'd be a huge, tremendous list. But there'd also be a lot of similarities. I think what we'd find is that many of us are struggling with the same stuff. And when we're just honest about that, that we're here because we struggle. We're not here because we're perfect. We're not here because we want to lord it over other people. We're here because we need God and we need each other. And the reality is that we all belong here. And the more broken you are, the more of a reason you fit in. Because the reality is that you have a self-understanding that really all of us need to have, like this tax collector. He gets it. He gets his relationship or his standing before God. And so if you struggle with your faith, if you struggle with belief, if you struggle with church teaching, again, your identity, uh, mental illness, there's so many things people struggle with. Jesus wants to know you. You're precisely the person Jesus wants to grow closer to. That's what he's saying. He says it over and over and over. And all of the perfect Catholics who want to justify themselves can go to another church. We don't need to do that. And we don't need to be better than them. And actually, if you want to justify yourself and be, that, be like the Pharisees, you can fit in here too because you're, you're really an outcast. But the reason it doesn't fit is because a person with that disposition doesn't have an openness to God. He can't reach him because they got it all figured out. It's good to be in a community where we don't need to be that way. We're aspiring to the good. We're aspiring to become more virtuous, of course, but not in a sense of superiority or to lord it over anyone else, but because we love goodness and we love to share that with one another. And it builds each other up. Not only does the sharing of goodness build one another up, but the sharing of our frailties and our faults and our difficulties builds other people up because you know why? It makes us realize we're not alone. And we're not alone. God is, of course, always with us. And not only do we need God, but we need one another. And so we continue to build this culture within our parish of being there for one another and supporting one another so that all of us can be uplifted as we pursue the good together. Please stand.